When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everyone to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Welcome back everyone to 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today, Chapter 2 of The Sign of the Four by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. THE STATEMENT OF THE CASE Miss Morstan entered the room with a firm step and an outward composure of manner. She was a blonde young lady, small, dainty, well-gloved, and dressed in the most perfect taste. There was, however, a plainness and simplicity about her costume, which bore with it a suggestion of limited means. The dress was a somber grayish beige, untrimmed and unbraided, and she wore a small turban of the same dull hue, relieved only by suspicion of white feather in the side. Her face had neither regularity of feature nor beauty of complexion, but her expression was sweet and amiable, and her large blue eyes were singularly spiritual and sympathetic. In an experience of women which extends over many nations and three separate continents, I have never looked upon a face which gave a clearer promise of a refined and sensitive nature. I could not but observe that as she took the seat which Sherlock Holmes placed for her, her lip trembled, her hand quivered, and she showed every sign of intense inward agitation. "'I have come to you, Mr. Holmes,' she said, "'because you once enabled my employer, Mrs. Cecil Forrester, "'to unravel a little domestic complication. "'She was much impressed by your kindness and skill.' "'Mrs. Cecil Forrester,' he repeated thoughtfully. "'I believe that I was of some slight service to her. "'The case, however, as I remember it, was a very simple one.' "'She did not think so, but at least you cannot say the same of mine.' I can hardly imagine anything more strange, more utterly inexplicable, than the situation in which I find myself. Holmes rubbed his hands, and his eyes glistened. He leaned forward in his chair with an expression of extraordinary concentration upon his clear-cut, hawk-like features. "'State your case,' said he, in brisk business tones. I felt that my position was an embarrassing one. "'You will, I'm sure, excuse me,' I said, rising from my chair." To my surprise, the young lady held up her gloved hand to detain me. "'If your friend,' she said, directing it toward Holmes, "'would be good enough to stop, he might be of inestimable service to me.' 
I relapsed into my chair. Briefly, she continued, the facts are these. My father was an officer in an Indian regiment who sent me home when I was quite a child. My mother was dead, and I had no relative in England. I was placed, however, in a comfortable boarding establishment at Edinburgh, and there I remained until I was seventeen years of age. In the year 1878, my father, who was senior captain of his regiment, obtained twelve months' leave and came home. He telegraphed to me from London that he had arrived all safe and directed me to come down at once, giving the Langham Hotel as his address. His message, as I remember, was full of kindness and love. On reaching London, I drove to the Langham and was informed that Captain Morstan was staying there, but that he had gone out the night before and had not returned. I waited all day without news of him. That night, on the advice of the manager of the hotel, I communicated with the police, and next morning we advertised in all the papers. Our inquiries led to no result, and from that day to this, no word has ever been heard of my unfortunate father. He came home with his heart full of hope to find some peace, some comfort, and instead... She put her hand to her throat, and a choking sob cut short the sentence. The date? asked Holmes, opening his notebook. He disappeared upon the 3rd of December, 1878, nearly ten years ago. His luggage. Remained at the hotel. There was nothing in it to suggest a clue. Some clothes, some books, and a considerable number of curiosities from the Andaman Islands. He had been one of the officers in charge of the convict guard there. Had he any friends in town? Only one that we know of. Major Sholto, of his own regiment, the 34th Bombay Infantry. The Major had retired some little time before and lived at Upper Norwood. We communicated with him, of course, but he did not even know that his brother officer was in England. A singular case, remarked Holmes. I have not yet described to you the most singular part. About six years ago, to be exact, on the 4th of May, 1882, an advertisement appeared in the Times asking for the address of Miss Mary Morstan and stating that it would be to her advantage to come forward. There was no name or address appended. I had at that time just entered the family of Mrs. Cecil Forrester in the capacity of governess. By her advice, I published my address in the advertisement column. The same day there arrived through the post a small cardboard box addressed to me, which I found to contain a very large and lustrous pearl. No word of writing was enclosed. Since then, every year, upon the same date, there has always appeared a similar box, containing a similar pearl, without any clue as to the sender. They have been pronounced by an expert to be of rare variety and of considerable value. You can see for yourself that they are very handsome. She opened a flat box as she spoke, and showed me six of the finest pearls that I had ever seen. "'Your statement is most interesting,' said Sherlock Holmes. "'Has anything else occurred to you?' "'Yes, and no later than today. "'That is why I have come to you. "'This morning I received this letter, "'which you will perhaps read for yourself.' "'Thank you,' said Holmes. "'The envelope, too, please. "'Postmark, London. "'Southwest, date, July 7th. "'Hmm. "'Man's thumb-mark on corner. "'Possibly, probably postman. "'Best quality paper.' Envelopes at sixpence a packet. Particular man in his stationery. No address. Be at the third pillar from the left outside the Lyceum Theatre tonight at seven o'clock. If you are distrustful, bring two friends. 
"'You are a wronged woman, and shall have justice. "'Do not bring police. "'If you do, all will be in vain. "'Your unknown friend.' "'Well, really, this is a very pretty little mystery. "'What do you intend to do, Miss Morstan?' "'That is exactly what I want to ask you.' "'Then we shall most certainly go, you and I, and, yes, "'why, Dr. Watson is the very man. "'Your correspondent says two friends. "'He and I have worked together before.' "'But would he come?' she asked, with something appealing in her voice and expression. "'I shall be proud and happy,' said I, fervently. "'And I can be of any service.' "'You are both very kind,' she answered. "'I have led a retired life and have no friends whom I could appeal to. "'If I am here at six it will do, I suppose.' "'You must not be later,' said Holmes. "'There is one other point, however.' "'Is this handwriting the same as that upon the pearl-box addresses?' "'I have them here,' she answered, producing half a dozen pieces of paper. "'You are certainly a model client. You have the correct intuition. Let us see now.' He spread out the papers upon the table and gave little darting glances from one to the other. "'They are disguised hands, except the letter,' he said presently. "'But there can be no question as to the authorship.' See how the impressible Greek E will break out, and see the twirl of the final S? They are undoubtedly written by the same person. I should not like to suggest false hopes, Miss Morstan, but is there any resemblance between this hand and that of your father? No, nothing could be more unlike. I expected to hear you say so. We shall look out for you then at six. Pray allow me to keep the papers. I may look into the matter before then. It is only half past three now. Au revoir. Au revoir, said her visitor, and with a bright, kindly glance from one to the other of us, she replaced her pearl box in her bosom and hurried away. Standing at the window, I watched her walking briskly down the street until the gray turban and white feather were but a speck in the somber crowd. What a very attractive woman, I exclaimed, turning to my companion. He had lit his pipe again and was leaning back with drooping eyelids. "'Is she?' he said languidly. "'I did not observe.' "'You really are an automaton, a calculating machine,' I cried. "'There is something positively inhuman in you at times.' He smiled gently. "'It is of the first importance,' he cried, "'not to allow your judgment to be biased by personal qualities. "'A client is to me a mere unit, a factor in a problem.' The emotional qualities are antagonistic to clear reasoning. I assure you that the most winning woman I ever knew was hanged for poisoning three little children for their insurance money, and the most repellent man of my acquaintance is a philanthropist who has spent nearly a quarter of a million upon the London poor. In this case, however, I never make exceptions. An exception disproves the rule. Have you ever had occasion to study character and handwriting? What do you make of this fellow's scribble? "'It is legible and regular,' I answered. "'A man of business habits and some force of character.' Holmes shook his head. "'Look at his long letters,' he said. "'They hardly rise above the common herd. "'That D might be an A, and that I could be an E. "'Men of character always differentiate their long letters, "'however illegibly they may write. "'There is vacillation in his K's and self-esteem in his capitals. "'I'm going out now.' I have some few references to make. Let me recommend this book, one of the most remarkable ever penned. It is Winwood's Reed's Martyrdom of Man. I shall be back in an hour. 
I sat in the window with the volume in my hand, but my thoughts were far from the daring speculations of the writer. My mind ran upon our late visitor. Her smiles, the deep rich tones of her voice, the strange mystery which overhung her life. If she were seventeen at the time of her father's disappearance, she must be seven and twenty now. A sweet age, when youth has lost its self-consciousness and become a little sobered by experience. So I sat and mused until such dangerous thoughts came into my head that I hurried away to my desk and plunged furiously into the latest treatise upon pathology. What was I, an army surgeon with a weak leg and a weaker banking account, that I should dare to think of such things? She was a unit, a factor, nothing more. If my future were black, it was better surely to face it like a man than to attempt to brighten it by mere will-o'-the-wisp of the imagination. We'll return with Chapter 3, right after these sponsor messages. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now Chapter 3 of The Sign of the Four, In Quest of a Solution. It was half past five before Holmes returned. He was bright, eager, and in excellent spirits a mood in which his case alternated with fits of the blackest depression. "'There is no great mystery in this matter,' he said, taking the cup of tea which I had poured out for him. "'The facts appear to admit of only one explanation.' "'What? You've solved it already?' "'Well, that would be too much to say. I have discovered a suggestive fact. That is all. It is, however, very suggestive. The details are still to be added.' I've just found, on consulting the back files of the Times, that Major Sholto, of Upper Norwood, late of the 34th Bombay Infantry, died upon the 28th of April, 1882. I may be very obtuse, Holmes, but I fail to see what this suggests. No? You surprise me. Look at it in this way, then. Captain Morstan disappears. The only person in London whom he could have visited is Major Sholto. Major Sholto denies having heard that he was in London. Four years later, Sholto dies. Within a week of his death, Captain Morstan's daughter receives a valuable present, which is repeated from year to year, and now culminates in a letter which describes her as a wronged woman. What wrong can it refer to except this deprivation of her father? And why should the presence begin immediately after Sholto's death, unless it is that Sholto's heir knows something of the mystery and desires to make compensation? Have you any alternative theory which will make the facts? "'But what a strange compensation! "'And how strangely made! "'And why, too, should he write a letter now "'rather than six years ago? "'Again, the letter speaks of giving her justice. "'What justice can she have? "'It is too much to suppose that her father is still alive. "'There's no other injustice in her case that you know of. "'There are difficulties. "'There are certainly difficulties,' said Sherlock Holmes, pensively. "'But our expedition of tonight will solve them all. "'Ah, here's a four-wheeler.' "'And Miss Morstan is inside. "'Are you ready? "'Then we better go down, "'for it's a little past the hour.' "'I picked up my hat and my heaviest stick, "'but I observed that Holmes took his revolver "'from his drawer and slipped it into his pocket. "'It was clear that he thought that our night's work "'might be a serious one. 
Miss Morstan was muffled in a dark cloak, and her sensitive face was composed but pale. She must have been more than woman if she did not feel some uneasiness at the strange enterprise upon which we were embarking. Yet her self-control was perfect, and she readily answered the few additional questions which Sherlock Holmes put to her. "'Major Sholto was a very particular friend of Papa's,' she said. "'His letters were full of allusions to the Major. "'He and Papa were in command of the troops at the Andaman Islands, "'so they were thrown a great deal together. "'By the way, a curious paper was found in Papa's desk "'which no one could understand. "'I don't suppose that it is of the slightest importance, "'but I thought you might care to see it, so I brought it with me. "'It is here.' "'Holmes unfolded the paper carefully.' "'and smoothed it out upon his knee. "'He then very methodically examined it all over with his double lens. "'It is paper of native Indian manufacture,' he remarked. "'It has at some time been pinned to a board. "'The diagram upon it appears to be a plan of part of a large building "'with numerous halls, corridors, and passages. "'At one point is a small cross done in red ink, "'and above it is a 3.37 from left, in faded pencil writing.' "'In the left-hand corner is a curious hieroglyphic "'like four crosses in a line with their arms touching. "'Beside it is written, in very rough and coarse characters, "'The Sign of the Four. "'Jonathan Small, Mahomet Singh, Abdullah Khan, Dost Akbar. "'No, I confess I do not see how this bears upon the matter. "'Yet it is evidently a document of importance. "'It has been kept carefully in a pocket-book, "'for the one side is as clean as the other.' "'It was in his pocketbook that we found it. "'Preserve it carefully, then, Miss Morstan, "'for it may prove to be of use to us. "'I begin to suspect that this matter "'may turn out to be much deeper and more subtle "'than I at first supposed. "'I must reconsider my ideas.' "'He leaned back in the cab, "'and I could see by his drawn brow and his vacant eye "'that he was thinking intently. "'Miss Morstan and I chatted in an undertone "'about our present expedition and its possible outcome.' "'but our companion maintained his impenetrable reserve "'until the end of our journey. "'It was a September evening, and not just seven o'clock, "'but the day had been a dreary one, "'and a dense, drizzly fog lay low upon the great city. "'Mud-colored clouds drooped sadly over the muddy streets. "'Down the strand the lamps were but misty splotches of diffused light "'which threw a feeble circular glimmer upon the slimy pavement. "'The yellow glare from the shop windows "'streamed out into the steamy, vaporous air,' "'and threw a murky, shifting radiance across the crowded thoroughfare. "'There was, to my mind, something eerie and ghost-like "'in the endless procession of faces "'which flitted across these narrow bars of light. "'Sad faces and glad, haggard and merry. "'Like all humankind, they flitted from the gloom into the light "'and so back into the gloom once more. "'I'm not subject to impressions, "'but the dull, heavy evening, "'with the strange business upon which we were engaged,' "'combined to make me nervous and depressed. "'I could see from Miss Morstan's manner "'that she was suffering from the same feeling. "'Holmes alone could rise superior to petty influences. "'He held his open notebook upon his knee, "'and from time to time he jotted down figures "'and memoranda in the light of his pocket-lantern. "'At the Lyceum Theatre the crowds were already thick "'at the side entrances. "'In front, a continuous stream of hansoms "'and four-wheelers were rattling up, "'discharging their cargoes of shirt-fronted men "'and beshawled, bediamonded women. "'We had hardly reached the third pillar, "'which was our rendezvous, "'before a small, dark, brisk man "'in the dress of a coachman accosted us. "'Are you the parties who come with Miss Morstan?' "'he asked. "'I am Miss Morstan, "'and these two gentlemen are my friends,' said she. 
"'he bent a pair of wonderfully penetrating and questioning eyes upon us. "'You will excuse me, miss,' he said, with a certain dogged manner. "'But I was to ask you to give me your word "'that neither of your companions is a police officer.' "'I give you my word on that,' she answered. "'He gave a shrill whistle, "'on which a street Arab led across a four-wheeler and opened the door. "'The man who had addressed us mounted to the box, "'while we took our places inside.' "'We had hardly done so before the driver whipped up his horse "'and we plunged away at a furious pace through the foggy streets. "'The situation was a curious one. "'We were driving to an unknown place on an unknown errand. "'Yet our invitation was either a complete hoax, "'which was an inconceivable hypothesis, "'or else we had good reason to think that important issues "'might hang upon our journey. "'Miss Morstan's demeanor was as resolute and collected as ever.' I endeavored to cheer and amuse her by reminiscences of my adventures in Afghanistan, but, to tell the truth, I was myself so excited at our situation and so curious as to our destination that my stories were slightly involved. To this day she declares that I told her one moving anecdote as to how a musket looked into my tent at the dead of the night and how I fired a double-barreled tiger cub at it. At first I had some idea as to the direction in which we were driving, but soon, but with our pace, the fog, "'and my own limited knowledge of London, "'I lost my bearings "'and knew nothing save that we seemed to be going a very long way. "'Sherlock Holmes was never at fault, however, "'and he muttered the names as the cab rattled through squares "'and in and out by tortuous by-streets. "'Rochester Row,' said he. "'Now Vincent Square. "'Now we come out on the Vauxhall Bridge Road. "'We're making for the Surrey side, apparently. "'Yes, I thought so. "'Now we're on the bridge.' "'You can catch glimpses of the river.' "'We did indeed get a fleeting view of a stretch of the Thames, "'with the lamps shining upon the broad, silent water, "'but our cab dashed on and was soon involved in a labyrinth of streets upon the other side. "'Wandsworth Road,' said my companion. "'Priory Road, Larkhall Lane, Stockwell Place, Robert Street, Cold Harbor Lane. "'Our guest does not appear to take us to very fashionable regions.' We had indeed reached a questionable and forbidding neighborhood. Long lines of dull brick houses were only relieved by the coarse glare and tawdry brilliancy of public houses at the corner. Then came rows of two-storied villas, each with a fronting of a miniature garden, and then again interminable lines of new, staring brick buildings, the monster tentacles which the giant city was throwing out into the country. At last the cab drew up at the third house in a new terrace. None of the other houses were inhabited. "'and that at which we stopped was as dark as its neighbors, "'save for a single glimmer in the kitchen window. "'On our knocking, however, "'the door was instantly thrown open by a Hindu servant, "'clad in a yellow turban, "'white loose-fitting clothes, and a yellow sash. "'There was something strangely incongruous "'in this oriental figure framed in the commonplace doorway "'of a third-rate suburban dwelling-house. "'The sahib awaits you,' said he, "'and even as he spoke there came a high, piping voice "'from some inner room.' "'Show them in to me, Kitmugar,' it said. "'Show them straight in to me.' "'We'll return with more chapters from the Sign of the Four "'next week Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. "'If you have a chance, please do send us a review, Apple listeners, "'for 1001 Sherlock Holmes stories "'and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. "'Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.'
Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.